as Christ intends it. And so we, we, we spent a, a good deal of time thinking about that and, um, and then just a little bit really um, thinking about husbands and wives and the difference in terms of their roles, one of headship and the other of submission. And, but we didn't think much really about application. Today we're thinking primarily about the application of what we heard last week. And we'll be extending that to singles as well. Because marriage is a big issue for all believers. If you're single, marriage is a big issue for you because you probably think about it quite a lot. And, um, and if you're not single, if you're married, then marriage is obviously a big issue because you are married. And so we're thinking about how the application of marriage extends to those who are single as well. And to that end, we will be giving a bit of a nod, really, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul speaks about singles. But what's important to say at the start now is that if you've forgotten what was said last week, then you need to get that back in mind, okay, uh, as we come to apply what we, come, what we apply today. And we need to have that in mind and bear that in mind. What I will do is just reference some of what we thought about last week as well, as we go forward. So, um, the, the first thing also to understand is marriage is actually a very controversial thing nowadays. I know we all know that, okay? But for, um, and marriage is, we could say it's under attack, at least in society, it's been pretty much defeated as a biblical institution of God, isn't it? People have pretty much let go of any biblical um, images and realities about what marriage is. That's kind of gone by the wayside. Although as churches, um, most at least, or many, continue to uphold marriage. And so marriage is under attack, and it's a controversial thing. Even within the church, it's controversial though. Because what Paul commands, what the Lord commands, that a husband is to be the head of his household, the head of his wife, and that the wife is to submit to her husband... I mean, that is radical, even in, across churches. There are many churches that would say, well, no, that was just a cultural thing for them. And, and it's not for today. But the thing to rem- a couple of things to remember is, one of the things behind that is the culture of the day. So people say that because there's a lot of pressure from outside for the church to conform to the surrounding culture. And to say a husband is the head of his wife, And to say that a wife should submit to her husband is well out of step with what marriage in our culture is about. Not just marriage, the view of men and women and all those things. That's one reason why it's under attack. Here's another reason. Well, because headship is often abused where it's practiced. It has been abused. Historically, when it was accepted, it was misapplied in all kinds of ways. And so people reject it, you know, it's like, surely Jesus and God wouldn't want this for relationships. And then another reason is that it's just misunderstood. People think that to be head means to be superior. To be in submission is a place of inferiority. And even the church buys into that too often. And clearly that is not the case. The Father sent the Son. 
Jesus submitted to his Father. Right there in the Godhead, there is authority and submission. And that tells us that authority and submission has nothing at all to do with superiority and inferiority and greatness and, you know, and those things. It's, it's about relationships and how about relationships function in a way that honours God. And if Jesus, who is Lord of the universe, would, be willingly, uh, would willingly and joyfully humbly submit to his Father, then that shows us, doesn't it, that submission actually is a beautiful thing. And if the Father, who has always been the Father, always has had authority over his Son for all eternity, he could do that without it ever being dominating or abusive or cruel or anything like that. And, if, so, and that tells us that authority is not intrinsically bad. It's not necessary to take advantage of authority. And so the Bible teaches us these things. And so when Paul advocates, commands, um, that a man be the head of his wife and the wife submit to the husband, what he is advocating is godly marriage, a beautiful marriage, a marriage that reflects something of Christ's amazing love for the church. And we thought about Christ and we thought about some of that last week. But as I said, today we're thinking about some of the practicalities and applying them. So we saw, for example, when Paul exhorts the woman to submit to her husband in everything, we saw that everything, that word, does not mean everything. It doesn't, okay? Now that needs qualification. Oh, 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 you know, to get us all on board with what I'm saying here, let me give you some examples. If a husband tells his wife to join him in some kind of internet scam, ripping off the older generation, should she submit to him in that? No. A wife should not submit to her husband if that means him leading her into sin and rebellion against the Lord Jesus. Because a wife submits to her husband for the sake of Christ, not in rebellion against him. And she will be held accountable for her actions before the Lord as well. On that day of judgment, it won't be enough to say, well, I did this because my husband told me to. And that she gets off. No. She'll be accountable. So if the husband is leading the wife into sin, she must say no. That's an area where she wouldn't submit to him. If her husband is leading her and asking her to lie for him, that would be something that she would have to say no. If a husband wants his wife to be a part of abusing their children. I'm sure we all agree. For a wife to say, okay, I've got to submit to you, I'm going to join in this abuse. Of course the answer's got to be no. And so clearly the word everything doesn't mean absolutely everything. There are parameters. And also... I want to suggest that everything does not include this as well. A wife 
submitting to a husband's abuse of her. It doesn't include that. That doesn't glorify the Lord Jesus. But we can say that, but at the same time, wives, those that will be wives, must not equivocate on that word everything. In other words, we mustn't take those exceptions that I just talked about and and then use that and say, everything doesn't mean everything, therefore I get to just pick and choose what I submit to. Okay, there are those, those things really should be obvious to us because if we know anything about the nature of Christ and the purpose of marriage and Christ's love for the church and the way that he's patient and all those things, then we know that those things just don't fit at all with the kind of marriage that God has in mind. And, uh, and hopefully that would be reasonably obvious to us all. And if it's not, we need to be clear about that. But apart from those things, a wife should submit to her husband in everything. In everything. Certainly everything that's good and right. And even when she may disagree with her husband, and it may, she may feel strongly about it. But still, a wife should submit to her husband if it's not abusive and those sorts of things. Let me just say a, a practical thing also about where, you know, where there's a situation of abuse and that kind of thing, or where, where a husband is trying to coax his wife into joining him in some kind of crime, internet scams, or whatever it might be, that is a time for elders to get involved. That, that's the response. Not just submission. No. The elders need to be involved, because church discipline needs to begin that process. So it's not that there's no answer, there is. And incidentally, that also means this, that wives, if husbands are with their headship commanding you to keep these things secret, you don't have to do that. Bring it into the light. Okay? So, um, so everything doesn't mean everything when we think about those things, but apart from those things, it does mean everything. You know, so it's a bit like yeah, in the workplace, you've got a job to do, your boss is, or your supervisor is going to be on site, and your boss says, look, go to the site and just do whatever they tell you. Well, you know what that means. That doesn't mean absolutely everything, does it? If it's what do everything he says. That doesn't mean, you know, go and sell your home and give him all your money. Obviously, it doesn't mean that everything has parameters, but the context should set the parameters, okay? So, so that's the first thing to say. And uh, that's for, uh, for wives. Husbands. The, the other thing that we saw about husbands is husbands are head of their wives, but again, Paul does put parameters on. And, and it's an interesting thing to observe, and I'm not going to go over this because we talked about this last week, that the, 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 the husband's parameters of headship is far more narrow than the wife's obligation to submit to her husband. So the wife submits in everything. The husband is head over the wife as Christ is the head over the church. And it makes it very clear this is about for her flourishing as a godly woman. And that can rightly be extended to the household. 
Okay? So that, now that does impact on everything. But what it means is the husband's primary concern for his wife, for his household, is that they grow to honour the Lord. But, again, what, what wives can do is they can take that and think, so I don't need to submit to him in everything, only spiritual things. No, 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 no. Submit to your husbands in everything. But his primary concern as head, his number one priority, is not that you have a lovely holiday every year. It's not that your children all get to wear Nike clothes or whatever. They're not his main priorities. The primary priority is that the family is raised in the Lord, that the wife flourishes as, the, as Christ serves the church, that the church might flourish. Now, um, two, two other, a couple of other practicalities that are helpful to understand is this. One of the struggles in the relationship between husband and wife is, or one of the challenges and problems is this, very often the wife is far more competent than her husband, sometimes, in some cases, in just about everything. And it's true, isn't it? That happens. Sometimes the wife is so much more competent than the husband in just about every area. But competence doesn't really have anything to do with headship. So let's think, you know, to think about it, you know, to think about it some sort of practical scenarios. For example, if she is brilliant with the finances, she knows how to make the money work well in the family, she knows how to budget well and all that kind of stuff, and he's hopeless. What does it mean for him to be the head in, in that situation? Well, Wayne Grudem, he put it like this. A good godly husband should have very big ears. In other words, God's, as a husband, God has given him a wife with competencies and abilities that make up for his lack. And he needs to listen carefully and, uh, and implement the wisdom, the godly wisdom of his wife. And maybe he's so incompetent he can't even implement it. In which case he can delegate that and tell his wife, that's good, you know what you're doing, then do it. But, but he has the authority to make decisions, hopefully listening carefully and doing what he can see is best for her flourishing in the Lord, for the glory of God in the family. That's one example. Um, when it comes to all sorts of other things, you can apply this to just about any area of life. Maybe she's far more of a theologian than he is. And when it comes to reading the scriptures and sharing with the family, you know, he doesn't, he's not very good at that kind of thing. Well, he can read as a husband. More importantly, he, can be, he should be the one that says, right, let's get together around the scriptures. It's his job to initiate that. And, and as they gather around the scriptures, he can ask some, one of the children to read. He can ask his wife, share your thoughts on this. Yeah, he can initiate. When it comes to sort of plans for the future, a husband should be thinking, it shouldn't be left to the wife to be thinking about, you know, what we're going to do here and what we're going to do there. The husband should be thinking about those things. 
initiating conversations with his wife about the future. It shouldn't be left to her to be thinking and to be raising those issues. The garden's a mess. It shouldn't just be left to her to have to finally sort it out or nag her husband to finally get on top of it or whatever it might be. Take initiative. And taking initiative is essentially what it is to lead, isn't it? Taking initiative. Getting as much wisdom as you can from your spouse, from others even, and then taking the initiative to lead on those things. So it's not really about competency. If a husband is incompetent in all sorts of areas and the wife is highly competent, well, thank the Lord, because as a couple you have the competency that's required. And God's given that without undermining leadership. And, and, and for wives, yeah, see, here's the other side of that. If that's the situation, you know you're far more competent than your husband. Yeah, what, are, what, are, what does Paul say, that last, second to last statement that he makes? Wives, respect your husbands. He may, maybe God's given you competencies, which I'm sure he has. But it, it, respecting your husband means not trying to undermine his leadership. If you, know, you want to know your husband's been listening carefully, to support the decision that he makes. And if, even if you disagree with it, to support it. He's not being ungo- if he's not, he's not being ungodly in doing what he believes is best, so support him. An attitude that says, okay, I disagree, but let's make, we'll make the very most of this. I'll support this and do my best. And if it doesn't work out, don't kind of, it's not about you know, one-upmanship. If it doesn't work out, then hopefully he'll learn. He's far more likely to learn and be humble with your support than feeling undermined. So these are basic practical applications of the stuff that we learned last week. The most important thing, and the kind of overarching thing for all of this, before we come to think about singles, is this, values. Our values. So, what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is this, to establish together that it's the gospel that should shape every decision that you make. That, that, the, that the, our, the value for, for, for the couple is the honour and glory of the Lord. What's going to honour him most? Uh, because that means that when it comes to making decisions, you see, if there's conflict... And it's not about necessarily about, or might, may look like it's to do with competency, but actually it might be that the husband's values are different to the wife's. But if the gospel shapes things, then you're, there's more likely to be unity if you're both gospel-minded. And again, this is why Paul begins by saying, out of reverence for Christ. Without that, unity and peace is much harder. And I'll just give one example of this. When it comes to the family holiday, maybe the budget allows for six weeks in Hawaii. And the husband is like, yeah, let's go for six weeks in Hawaii. And the wife's saying, I know the budget allows for it, but 
it just, surely that's not right because we could use a lot of that money to, you know, for the extension of the kingdom. And hopefully she'll persuade him in that. That will be a time when you hope that he sees sense. If he's gospel-minded and reminded that, actually, no, we're, we're not about lovely long holidays, we're about the gospel, that, then that value will help them come to unity. And, and the same would be, would work exactly the, the other way around as well. If she's like, we've got the budget for a six-week six week holiday in Hawaii, why not? Well, the, the gospel is why not. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't have a six-week holiday, in Hawaii, and that you shouldn't fund your pastor to have a six-week holiday in Hawaii. <laughs> but the gospel should be the t- determining factor. Okay, so there's some practical applications there. Now, thinking about singles. Ma- we, we've been thinking about marriage. What has marriage got to do with you if you're single? Well, do you know, there's, there's some really important things that extend to singles, okay? If you're single, there's some really important things to, that extend to singles. Actually, before I talk about that, there's one more thing I do need to say, which is the most important application of all, okay? This is something for you married couples that I want to encourage you to do, at a practical, yeah, to do very practically when you get home, okay? This afternoon, or if not this afternoon, soon after. It, it may be that that your headship and submission relationship really hasn't been functioning at all. It may be that you've even given up on it at a practical level. And in that case, here's what you need to do. You need to go home and you need to come before the Lord and you need to confess and repent in front of the Lord Jesus. You need to do that. Okay, you don't, it's not good to just listen to a message like this and think, okay, I ought to put it into practice and then we end up forgetting you know, to actually repent if the relationship hasn't been glorifying and honouring to God. And wives, if you've not been submitting to your husband, if you've been, you know, it's been a battle for control, if that's what you've been engaged in with your husband, manipulating or trying to control or whatever it might be, you need to recognise that in yourself as well and go home and repent in front of the Lord, confess and repent in front of the Lord. So that's the first thing for you to do, that you should do this afternoon. Here's the second thing. Husbands, you need to speak with your wives. Actually speak to them and say, we need to spend a bit of time together to talk about this. That's a husband taking initiative, right? So wives, how do you respond to that? You be compliant. Okay, do, do that. Arrange a time. And then, that's the second thing. The third thing that you need to do. Husbands, when you have that talk with your wife, if you've had to repent in front of the Lord, maybe you need to confess and repent in front of your wife too. And say, I've been wrong the way that I've been. I can see that and I'm sorry. And wives, if you've had to confess and repent in front of the Lord, it may well be quite likely that you need to do the same with your husbands. Husbands, take the initiative on this. And then the third thing is this. Or is it the fourth thing? Fourth thing, thank you. The fourth thing is this. Husbands, commit verbally to your wife that you will be a godly head. 
that you will make decisions that are most going to glorify the Lord and be for her spiritual flourishing and for the good of the family and not for your own selfish gain, not for your own selfish preferences. And wives. And these are the two hard bits. Wives, commit verbally to your husband and say, I will submit to you in everything. I'm going to... I'm trusting that you're going to be godly and I'm going to submit to you in everything. Isn't that a, sca- that is, is that a scary thing? It should be. Right? Understanding, both of you, that you're both sinful. Knowing that you're going to get it right, but being committed to it, nevertheless. You know, the really important things for marriage are grace, aren't they? Grace... Forgiveness, repentance, and trust. Really important things. I have to work on those things. So singles. Okay, I've got... Sorry, singles, we haven't got a lot of time for this. But if marriage, if the template for marriage is Christ's love for the church and Christ's relationship with the church, then there is some of that to apply to singles. But another template, as it were is the father and the son, right? The father sent the son. The the son is in eternal submission to the father. And the father sent the son and Jesus came on a mission. And in coming on a mission, what did he do? Did he do? He sacrificed the comfort, the glory, the wonder, the joy of heaven and the worship of all the angels and all the redeemed so far who are there with him in glory. He he sacrificed that to come into this world in obedience, humble obedience to his Father. And Jesus served as a single man, didn't he, all of his life until the ultimate sacrifice when he died on the cross for all of us. He's not the only person to have lived a single life who's godly and great. I mean, it doesn't get any better than Jesus, right? But the Apostle Paul... A single man, wasn't he? And probably, after Jesus, the Apostle Paul is the most used person by God who's ever lived on planet Earth. I mean, that's arguable, you might say Moses or whatever. But the Apostle Paul is certainly up there, right? And, um, and, and the Apostle Paul, he, was, he lived his life, why? For the sake of the Gospel. So... For those of us that are single, it's, you know, here's what we can do. Here's what you can do, and what often is the case. Obsessing over marriage. Will I ever get married? Am I ever going to meet someone? And, and we can think about it all the time. And pray about it. And be looking for you know, who might be your partner. And... That leads also to worry and anxiety over it and heightens a sense of, can heighten a sense of loneliness. Here's the thing. None of that is going to get you a wife or a husband. Okay? None of that's going to do that. You know, the Lord knows already if you're going to meet someone. He's got that in hand. He's got that in hand. And none of that worry and anxiety does anything good. Here's what it will do. 
when you finally meet your spouse and get married, if you do, you'll look back and think, why did I spend all those years anxiously worrying? God has got purposes for you. This is where we come to 1 Corinthians. Let me just, we're not going to read it all, but Paul's advice, and it is his advice, um, is very helpful. He says, now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. I'll just drop down a little bit. No, I'll read verse 27 as well. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Look at what it says. Do not look for a wife. Okay? Don't spend your days looking for a wife or a husband. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. And then verse 32. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. How can he please the Lord? But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world. How can he please his wife? And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of the world. How she can please her husband. What Paul is saying there is, if you're single... Don't worry about marriage. It's good to be married. It's good to want to be married. And marriage is a wonderful thing. But it will come yeah, at the, yeah, when the time is right. The Lord is able to bring people together. We can trust him on that. And I'm not saying don't keep an eye open for that. But don't worry about it. And here's what you need to do. If, that, if you've been worrying and anxious about it, You need to do exactly what husbands and wives need to do. Trust the Lord. Perhaps you need to go home this afternoon and confess that you've been obsessing in fear, no faith about marriage. Confess and repent. And here's what you can do and what you should do. Devote yourself to the Lord in a way that you will not be able to do if and when you get married. Don't waste the time that you've got that you can invest in the kingdom. Because once you marry, if you marry, you are never, you're not going to get that back again. So make the most of the opportunity. It, it, it does come down to this, doesn't it? Do I trust the Lord? Put your trust in him. Let go. Put your trust in him. And serve him with all of your heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the the, the glorious picture of Christ and his love for the church and the way that he served the church, the way that he exalts the church, that the church might glorify and exalt him. And we thank you, Lord, that marriage 
is built on that template to reflect that, Lord. And I pray that you'll help all of us, myself included, to, to display your love for your people in our marriages. Help us to do that. And I pray also, Father, for those of us that are unmarried. Lord, I do pray that you would grant faith and a depth of confession and repentance and a wholehearted giving of self to you, selflessly, just as you, Lord Jesus, came selflessly. Lord, we ask these things for your honour. In Jesus' name, amen.